Good morning. The reading this morning is from John chapter 2, starting at 13 to 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area. Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the kinds of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. When the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous signs can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Neville. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we take a little bit more of a closer look at that passage together now. Gracious Father, please be with us now as we look at your word. Help us by your spirit, the same spirit who inspired John to pen these words, uh, that that spirit would work in our lives so that we might be uh, more attuned to your ways and your will in our life and that we would love you for it and change accordingly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When I was single uh, and living with a few guys in a share house in Brisbane uh, just after I'd left home, uh, we'd frequently leave the dishes in the sink, uh, often for days. (coughs) And uh, I can remember leaving a pot that I'd boiled some prawns in um, for, I was probably a week, and... um, It stank, it was horrible. And it looked bad as well. Uh, But it just sat there. My flatmates, they um, they didn't seem to care. If they, well, they didn't show it. They just left it there. Uh, And so I ended up, probably about a week later, throwing the pot away. It was uh, beyond saying, saving. It was terrible. Uh, But then I got married. And Megs loves having the dishes cleaned every night. Now to start off with, uh, she was patient with me, not caring as much as her about that. Uh, but as the years have gone by, I've, uh, I've really noticed how much she cares about this. She cares a lot about this. <laughs> Megs is nodding. She cares a lot about this. So, uh, I've committed to cleaning the dishes before the day is out. Which... Is a little bit like, I reckon, uh, what this passage can do for us today. As we see Jesus cleaning God's house and showing us how much he cares about it so that we might care about cleaning God's house too. But before we get there, uh, it's worth recapping where we've been. Last week at the beginning of chapter 2, 
uh, at the wedding in Cana, we saw there in Galilee, we saw Jesus shine. Not just as a miracle worker, you know, able to turn water into wine, but as God come in the flesh. Come to transform people's lives, come to give them life and give them life to the full. And in this we saw the first sign, we're told, uh, in the Gospel of John, of God and his people and of God's desire to bless his people. But as uh, this Gospel now takes us with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, there are more signs to come. As we were uh, told there in verse 23, uh, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Uh, your NIV translation uh, might have miraculous signs here, uh, but that's a gloss. In the uh, Greek, it's just the word signs. Now, signs in the Bible can be miraculous, like we saw with uh, the water to wine. But other signs, they're not miraculous, like the sign of cleansing the temple in the passage that we're looking at today. Miraculous or not, though, these signs of Jesus, they show God what, that God wants people to be with him. That's what these signs show. And this sign of cleansing the temple, Jesus shows God's holy passion to have a holy people with him. So that's where we're going today. Firstly, we're going to looking at the uh, temple as God's holy house for him and his people. Secondly, uh, Jesus' zeal for God's house. And then thirdly, our zeal for God's house. Alright, so firstly, the temple as God's holy house. Up to Jesus' day, uh, the temple was God's house. It was that building in Jerusalem, first built by King Solomon around a thousand years ago, uh, before Jesus, sorry, a thousand years before Jesus. Uh, it got burned down in 586 by the uh, Babylonians. Uh, it was re- reconstructed uh, 70 years later, and it was worked on for years and years uh, after that, right up to Jesus' day where King Herod at the time had enlarged it. Now, the point of this temple uh, is explained in a prayer that King Solomon way back prays at the dedication of the first temple. Uh, Solomon prays, he says this to God, May your eyes be opened toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your, your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So the temple, it was a sign of God being there with his people. And it was also a sign that he'd hear his people's prayers and forgive them. Which is no small thing for a holy God. Uh, Earlier this year in my uh, regular reading of the Bible, I came to the book of Leviticus. I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus, but if you've ever read it, uh, it's not necessarily everyone's fave. You know, no one's going, yay, Leviticus, it's a page turner. Uh, Because the book is a bunch of rules and requirements for priests and all the different types of sacrifices and how things were done or were to be done in God's meeting place, which was to become the temple. But here's the thing. As I got into the details of uh, Leviticus, I realised... This was a big deal. It was a big deal, not just for the Israelites, for God's ancient people, but it was a big deal for God. Because God is holy. He's so holy, he's so glorious, he's so righteous, it's impossible for unholy and unrighteous people to hang around him and live. Like wax before a furnace, people would just melt away. 
before him. But God, he wants to be with these people so much, he goes to great lengths to make sure they can be with him and live. So he gives them priests and sacrifices and a bunch of requirements to deal with their sin, to deal with their unholiness, and the temple becomes the focus of all that. The temple then is a, is a sign of God's great desire and plan to be with his unholy people by forgiving them and making them holy. As such, the temple is God's holy house. And Jesus, well, he's passionate about this house. That's the second point. Jesus' zeal for God's house. And Jesus, he's so passionate about God's house, as we read earlier, uh, he rocks up at the temple, he sees it being used as a market, uh, he gets all fired up, he makes a whip, he drives out a bunch of people selling uh, stuff and drives out their cattle and their sheep and their pigeon. He drives them out, he scatters the money, he overturns the table and all while he's doing that, he's saying this, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. See, the temple is more than just a building for Jesus, it's his father's house, his father's holy house. And it's entirely out of order for people to be selling and buying stuff in his father's house because that's not what his father's house is for. It's the place that God especially set aside for people to deal with their unholiness so he could be with them. King Solomon knew this. King Solomon's father, King David, he, he knew this even more. David was passionate about the temple. As he says in a prayer to God that he wrote in Psalm 69, which is applied to Jesus as even more true for him, which we read in John 2. His disciples re- remembered that it was written and he quoting from David in Psalm, King David in Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. Applied to Jesus. Jesus is zealous for the temple as his father's holy house. And it's a passion that will literally consume him. He'll die for this. As the Jews, they wonder what kind of sign Jesus might be giving here. Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The temple he was he'd spoken of was his body. Although the Jews think he's talking about the, the building in front of them, the, the temple building at the time, Jesus is talking about himself as the temple. And by doing this, by saying this, he's saying something shocking. He's saying the place where the holy God really dwells with his unholy people, the place where his unholy people are made holy, it's no longer to be in a building in Jerusalem, but in him, in his body, as it's destroyed and rose uh, again three days later. And it's in this that we see Jesus' zeal, his passion for God's house, uh, go off the charts as it will become clear that Jesus fulfills all the temple in Jerusalem was a sign of, all that it is needed to make unholy people holy and acceptable to God, Jesus makes that possible in his death on that cross for their sins, in their place, and in his resurrection from the dead to make them right with God. As he does this, then they're truly forgiven, truly made clean, truly holy before God, once and for all. Uh, By trusting and relying on Jesus' death and resurrection, anyone Anyone can confidently draw near to God. In fact, you can't get closer to God than through Jesus. In Jesus, you're home and hosed. And it's Jesus' zeal, his passion, that got you there. Because let's face it, we wouldn't have got there on our own. As John says there in verse 24, Jesus knows all people. He knows what's in each 
person, he knows what's in each of us, he knows it's not good, it's not holy, it's the opposite. And so Jesus' zeal for his father's house symbolised as he cleans the temple and ultimately as he, as he rises, uh, dies and rises again, is not just for his father's sake, but it's for all who believe in him. So that a holy God might dwell with people made holy and live together in holy love. A uh, number of years ago, a band called the Lemonheads wrote a great song called The Outdoor Type, uh, singing about the efforts of a uh, a guy trying to impress a girl. Uh, The refrain is, uh, I lied about being the outdoor type. And uh, I think it was a song written particularly for me uh, because I'm not big into camping or sleeping in a tent. I like Wi-Fi and electricity and comforts. I'm not into making fires. But the times that I have been camping, and it's been a pretty chilly night, and someone else, someone else has built the fire, uh, there's nothing quite like a fire, right? You've been in front of a campfire? It's a good fire, it's good. It's really good, surprisingly, outdoors. Uh, a campfire's good, particularly if you've gone for a night swim in a deep puddle that you didn't see and nobody told you about. A fire... A fire is great. It's great. As you dry off and you feel the heat move from your frozen extremities into your core. Well, a bit like this, Jesus' zeal, his passion, is a fire. It's like a fire on a cold night. It blazes God's holy love deep, deep, deep down into cold, unholy hearts like yours and mine. His passion not only saves us, but thaws our hearts out so that they might beat in line with his, so that we might be passionate for his father's house to be holy too. Which brings us to the uh, third point, our zeal for God's house. Because those who rely on Jesus' passionate sacrifice, those people are now God's house, his temple. As the Apostle Paul says to the church, Don't you know that you yourselves, talking to those who believe in Jesus, the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? The church, that is, all who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them. They're now God's temple, his house, the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so it shouldn't surprise us that 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 Holy Spirit would move believers in Jesus to love what is holy. It's no accident that he's called the Holy Spirit. To love what is holy, like he does, and and to be passionate, as he is, for God's house to be holy too. And to want this enough to cast out what is improper for God's house. And that's going to impact those people, believers, the church, going to impact them individually and collectively. First, individually. Uh, It's true that the church as a whole is God's temple. The Bible is clear on that. But it's equally true that each individual in the church is God's temple too. As uh, the Apostle Paul writes, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. 
See, as the Holy Spirit dwells in every person who believes in Jesus, their body is a temple of God. And so to be zealous for God's temple, it'll look like honouring God with your body by getting rid of anything that's improper or sinful. Which, in the context that Paul was writing, was particularly to flee from sexual immorality. That is, to run away from any sexual activity outside of marriage. Because that's improper for God's people. But sexual sin is not the only improper thing. It's, it's anything that ends in ungodliness, like getting drunk, or staying up late watching questionable stuff online, or eating too much, or using filthy language, or binging like an addict on something, or pursuing a relationship you know that God doesn't want, or always getting annoyed at others for getting in the way of what you want, or holding grudges, hating those who hate you, or cheating people of money, or of respect. To be zealous, to be passionate for God's house, then it it will look like getting rid of these things and things like them, uh, and being drastic about it, even violent, like Jesus was at the temple. There's a violence to Jesus' words where he says elsewhere, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. There's a violence in Paul's commands, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, just to name a few. In our zeal and our passion for God's temple, we're not to tiptoe around our sinful behaviour in our life. We'll get fired up about it. We'll drive it out, we'll overturn it, we'll tell it to get out. Firstly, by confessing it to God. Be honest with him about what you did. Be honest about why you did it. As much as you know your own heart. And then having confessed it to God, with his help, look to kill it. The uh, 17th century uh, theologian and pastor, a guy called John Owen, he wrote a, uh, a little book with a pithy little title. It's called The Mortification of Sin. There's a selling title. Uh, but in it, John suggests a way to kill sin in your life. That's what mortification uh, means, putting to death. And he gives some remarkable speeches from uh, his own prayer life, spiritual soliloquies, he calls them, nice little phrase, uh, ways of talking, of even preaching to your own heart, to yourself, speaking to yourself, ways of using gospel truths to weaken a particular false belief or wrong attitude that we might have. And he would say these gospel speeches to himself regularly. Speeches like, how can I treat Jesus like this? who died so I would never be punished? Uh, or will I fail to forgive when he died to forgive me? Or will I nurse my pride when he emptied himself of his glory to save me? He, he deliberately framed his sin within something that he knew is true of God in the gospel towards him. And he'd say these things to himself so that he might grasp how sin is... It's more than just doing something wrong. It's more something that grieves the God that he trusts and he loves and he knows in Jesus, the one that he wants to please more than not. And in this way, he saw a means of killing sin at its root. Maybe that's something that we could try. As we work at our our zeal, our passion for God's house to confess to God the simple ways we used our bodies to speak the truth of God 
uh, who God is to us in Jesus, to ourselves. How can I treat Jesus like this? Who died so I would never be punished. Will I hate those who hate me when Jesus still loved me when I hated him? Will I look to Facebook or Snapchat to my or, or my friends before God's word for comfort? How can I use these eyes to watch porn when the Holy Spirit dwells behind them? How can I slander others when the Holy Spirit is constantly interceding for me? Will I call God Abba Father in one breath and then curse his people with the other? How can I treat Jesus like this? In our zeal and our passion for God's house, let's work at getting rid of anything that's improper in our own life. And just as we'll do this personally, we'll also look to do this as a church, which in some ways is a little bit more tricky. Because we all know church is not perfect, right? Uh, It's often full of improper things because it's full of improper sinful people like you and me. And I don't think we naturally like the idea of calling each other out on our sin. But Jesus' passion for God's house and the Holy Spirit will move us to love what is holy and want God's house to be holy too. And so with God's word, with his word, we'll look to get rid of those things that are unholy. I mean, after all, in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture, it's God-breathed, right? It's, it's of the Spirit. And so as God's temple, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, it makes sense that they will look to use Scripture, what's God-breathed, with each other. Not just to teach and to train in righteousness, but to rebuke and to correct each other. Which will look like being prepared to get alongside someone at church that we love and know as a brother and sister in Christ who we see caught up in a sin and gently and lovingly and humbly use God's word to rebuke them and correct them. Many years ago I was chatting with a friend about how at the time I'd uh, really stepped up how much I was exercising I wanted to look good or better in the, the clothes that I had, and so I was getting along to the gym more regularly and uh, and running and doing uh, extra weights and whatnot, which meant that I had less time uh, for Bible reading and for spending time with God. And as my friend listened to me, as I was telling him about this, he said, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. He's quoting from the Bible. He's quoting from uh, 1 Timothy 4.8. And it's stung. Which I'm now thankful for. Because it's stuck with me to this day. Clearly. As an example of Jesus loving me through him. Through his rebuke. An example of calling out something improper in my life at the time. But he did it not just because he cared for me, but because... Well, he had a zeal for God's house, a passion for God's people to be holy. And as those who have the Holy Spirit, 
That's what we'll want to. In Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we should all want God's house to be holy. So let's be prepared to gently and lovingly and humbly call out sin in church. To be calling each other to be holy. Let's be brave in our passion for God's house to to say something to those that we know and love, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we see are caught up in a sin and to get alongside them and to say something. Maybe something like, hey, look, you seem quite judgmental of others and legalistic in your thinking towards them. What's going on there? Maybe, you know, it's really, really hard to flee from sexual immorality if you're filling your head with porn. Or, look, I notice you you have a go at those people uh, for the way they behave, I get that, but then you go and do the same thing. What's going on there? Or, I don't hear a great deal of love for that person in the way that you talk about them. Or, hey, look, the way that you joke around, uh, talk about sex, swear all the time, it's not what God wants for you. Or, you know, getting drunk leads to debauchery. Or the way that you always talk yourself up, mate. Um, is that pride? Or you, you go on a lot about how that person did that thing to you, that time. Have you forgiven them? Now, depending on your relationship with the the person, of course, it's going to shape the way that you talk to them about their sin. But out of a zeal for God's house, that God's people be holy, we should be prepared to call a brother and a sister in Christ on improper behaviour. Leaning on God's word as we do, of course, and doing it humbly and gently and lovingly. And if you're the one being rebuked and you are caught up in a particular sin, see it for what it is. It's a kindness towards you from Jesus. And as the Spirit moves you afresh to cherish God's holiness, take it on the chin. Own the sin. Confess it to God. Maybe confess it to a a trusted brother or sister in Christ and then with God's help, look to put that sin to death. You see, Jesus, he was passionate for God's house, for getting rid of what was improper, our sin, ultimately by laying down his life for our in our place so that unholy people like you and me might dwell with his heavenly Father, our, our holy God. As such, then we are made holy. As God's holy people then, let's be who we are and be passionate for God's house as we look to get rid of what's unholy, what's improper. Let's put to death any sinful behaviour and to cast it out from our own life and out of the life of the church. It's interesting that uh, as I I first started cleaning the dishes at home every day out of love for Meg's, Now, uh, more often than not, I'll be the one cleaning the dishes. Not just because I love Megs, uh, but because I've come to see what Megs saw. How good it is to have the dishes done every day. 
to not see a bunch of dirty dishes. The first thing uh, when you walk into the kitchen of a morning, of a morning uh, is truly delightful. Her zeal has become my zeal. And in the same way, because in Jesus we know a holy God who loves us enough to make us holy, it shouldn't surprise us that we'll come to love what he loves and to see that what he loves is good and so want his whole house to be holy like him. So, as God's house, let's fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in us and passionately keep at casting out the sin in our own lives and in the church. And I'm going to pray to that in now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you that in your immense desire to have us as your people, you, such a holy and righteous God, you made provision initially foreshadowed in the temple and all the sacrifices and work that was done there, but finally realised in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, you have made it possible for us unholy people, sinners, unrighteous, that could not stand in your presence, can now confidently approach you in and through Christ, that we are now holy and acceptable before you. Father, as those who are holy and in whom now your spirit dwells as your temple, as your house, help us to love what you love, to cherish what you cherish and to cast out those things that are improper personally in our own lives and within the life of the church and help us to do that lovingly, humbly, gently, but to do it because we love what you love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.